0: Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 120th videocast and 110th podcast for the week ending February 3rd, 2022. A lot to cover. We're going to try to keep it a little shorter than last week. Uh, We ran over last week, but we had a lot of good stuff to cover. Uh, First off, uh, quick on the media, I'd like to thank Althea Thompson and Joseph Cole uh, over at... Cheddar for having me on uh, on Tuesday on uh, Monday to discuss uh, Starbucks earnings preview. And we went into a lot of details about the expected margin contract contraction and the um, attempts for unionization, uh, which we'll cover a little bit in today's call. But by and large, uh, it came in as expected in terms of the margin contraction, they they had to pay a bit more in wages because of the um, COVID. They they double paid people. They paid people to stay home who had COVID, and then they paid for the people to fill their positions. So that was a short term thing. The stock held up very nicely. I think a lot of the bad news was priced in. As far as the unions go, um, you know, right now it, it, they've got two stores unionized out of. Uh, Uh, 9,000 or so in the U.S., and 1.2% or so of uh, food service is uh, workers at food and drinking outlets were members of unions. That's far below the private sector at 6.3. And that speaks to the reasons we discussed last week in one of the Ask Me Anything questions is that unions work best for areas where it takes a long time to develop a skill, whether it's acting or um, you know, pipe fitting, construction, HVAC, uh, those type of things where uh, plumbing, there's there's long apprenticeships, teaching, uh, et cetera. Whereas in the food service industry, the turnover is so high, it's tough to get traction and organize. Plus they have to negotiate on a store by store basis. And plus it takes on average 409 days for unions to ratify their first contract. So. Uh, I don't think that's as much as of a headwind as people were worried about. The big headwind was uh, China being down 14 percent year on year due to their zero COVID policy, which also uh, probably won't won't be lasting for a whole lot longer, uh, you know, maybe as they get through Omicron in a, another three months and the Olympics, et cetera. But uh, that's also going to be uh, a, a temporary situation. And then those... Uh, uh, international comp store sales are really going to ex- accelerate. And uh, they're even when you look at their international expansion, they're opening 2,000 stores next year. 75% are going to be in uh, outside of the United States. Why is that? Well, at the store level, operating expenses as a percentage of revenue were 50% in the United States. They give them... Healthcare, if they work uh, work over 20 hours, they can get free college through Arizona State University online if they get accepted to the college. Uh, tremendous amount of benefits. So there's, you know, the idea of unionizing, it's like uh, biting the hand that, that, that feeds them. I mean, they have one of the most generous benefit and compensation packages, um, you know, to unionize against that, I think, is... Uh, I uh, trouble I I I think the labor market is such that you can just ask for more money and you'll get it uh, or you can go elsewhere where uh, your value to the marketplace is recognized uh, at a very easy clip so I uh, went into a lot of that uh, those factors on the, the clip uh, well worth watching if you're interested in Starbucks uh, I want to thank Bansari Kamdar for including me in her Reuters article uh, this was uh, two days ago and the market was down in the morning. I said, the market just wants to digest ahead of big earnings. Alphabet and Meta are going to be critical for the health of the market uh, this week, says Thomas Hayes, and that's certainly been true. Alphabet earnings were fantastic, plus they're doing the 20-for-1 split. Uh, Facebook, on the other hand, were a disaster, and that's why the market's down today. Um, You know, it's interesting. um, Facebook you know, really complained about uh, cost inflation and supply chain disruptions impacting their advertiser budgets. (laughs) But when you talk to the folks over at Google, uh, they had absolutely zero problems. Their search revenue was off the charts and their advertising revenue was off the charts. YouTube was a bit light, but it's still bigger than Netflix. So, um, you know, tale of two cities. And I think that uh, this bet that uh Facebook or Meta is taking on uh the metaverse is is going to be you know do or die and the the other problem is is it you know because of the amount of spend uh I think let's see I think it was something like yeah so the family of app segment which includes Facebook, Instagram, Messenger and WhatsApp reported operating income of 15.9 billion um but the metaverse ate away 3.3 billion of that so that's why they had you know 10 i think it was 10.9 billion or something like that in in operating income the, the metaverse uh had an operating loss of 3.3 billion dollars uh, they reported net income of 10.29 billion so 3.3 billion less due to metaverse so they better be right on that and the other problem is their um you know their revenue growth could be as low as 3 percent between 3 and 11 percent in the coming quarter the guidance just crushed the stock whereas the last year Facebook's revenue was up 48 percent so certainly obviously tough comps but at the same time you know if you're gonna have a premium multiple you have to have premium growth levels and with the bets they're making on meta uh it's it's questionable whether you know how cheap does this stock have to get before value investors can step in because it's it's on the basis of what this is looking like um they're no longer a growth story they're a phenomenal business they're go-to place the other thing is obviously the apple uh changes in the ios which um has made tracking users more difficult that's going to impair they are Developing a workaround uh, that will get get them better tracking somehow, but that but that's going to take some time, and um, you know, so I, th- I think that the the stock is going to you know it's turned into a show me stock. It's going to be in the penalty box for a while. Um, you know, would I would I look at it in the two twenties? I think it's in the two forties right now. I I might start to look at it. Let's see let's see what happens in the next couple of days. Uh, but you know, you are really making a bet with incomplete information so it certainly wouldn't be anything high-conviction um... and uh, i might be more inclined to just let's see how it uh, plays out over, over the coming weeks and and see how the street starts to interpret it they also complained about TikTok, you know taking share and growing much faster uh... et cetera um, you know on the one hand this stuff all looks bad on the other hand you know, they've been successful in taking the attention off of them about the, you know, the reported uh, bad things that Facebook, Facebook does to users and etc. cetera and the crackdown from the government. So, I mean, this is a good a time as any to have changed their name, changed their focus. It's like a magician creating a new illusion uh, and kitchen sinking the quarter with all these expenses from Meta to make it look like, well, you know, we're not a monopoly, our businesses are eroding, TikTok's stealing our share, Um, you know, we're not making any money on Meta, leave us alone. And I think that's a clever strategy. So on the one hand, it could just be a kitchen sink type of scenario while the attention is on them. On the other hand, their businesses could be eroding. I mean, they had negative uh, user growth, modest negative user growth. I mean, keep in mind, uh, they have uh, 1.93 billion daily active users and 2.91 billion monthly active users. So at some point, the law of large numbers had to kick in. And then also people are obviously shifting from doing uh, digital stuff to doing real life stuff with uh, the whole pandemic. So that could uh, effectively toggle back and forth. So it's interesting, but I think it's not interesting yet. Um, and it goes to show that uh, you know this is going to be an environment for stock pickers when you can have a google do so exceptionally well and a facebook uh do so terribly and surprise to the downside uh, amazon will be a good look tonight Uh, that's more of a stable business my guess is that'll be more of a starbucks story where labor costs were too high and the market will be a little upset about that but like starbucks they'll raise the price of coffee they'll raise the price of prime uh and um and i think it's largely short-term and and paying people while they're out while they have covid and then double paying for the same shifts uh certainly omicron has uh, had that type of impact and probably will in q1 but uh should be able to be a look through so um so that's that let's let's move on to the questions of the week um okay ben first name only quick thoughts on buying boeing and intel at friday's levels please um i don't know about friday's levels let's take a look uh you know i i still yeah i love intel here i think this works just you know up to 85 90 over the next three few three or so years 75 in the next couple of years so yeah i think uh um they're they're um their plan is, is going according to plan. Boeing, still love here. It's doing nothing. We haven't got the catalyst from them uh, uh, taking off in China. That was promised before the uh, end of the month, but that should be in coming weeks. So, uh, you know, it's it's done nothing in a year waiting for this catalyst. Let's get the catalyst and see how it acts. And uh, I think this is a home run long term operating in a duopoly and a good thing. Uh, ben first name only and Tesla, too, please buying at Friday's levels um i i I don't know what this means about friday's levels and this and that i mean you either like the business and you want to own it or um you don't but uh for me you know i actually there's another question on tesla so i'm going to defer that until uh that question i'll answer tesla all at once but as far as boeing and intel i love them here i'd be adding uh no question about it um Uh, Okay, Um, Dr. Matt in North Carolina. uh, First, thanks for your revolutionary podcast, bringing sound investment principles to retail investors. Hooked on it and look forward to every week. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, Wondering, can you speak to the retail investors' potential use of leverage through options and margin, e.g. in an approved TD Ameritrade account, for example, buying call options for BABA where confidence is high? What do you think of buying in-the-money strikes 100 to 110 with the uh, with the delta of uh, 0.7 by varied expirations perhaps three to 18 months out since hard to predict when that fish will stop fighting and get in the gosh darn boat <laughs> that's yeah great uh, obviously listened last week uh can you compare the strategy with buying the stock itself on margin knowing the margin rate is nine percent obviously using leverage has greater risk with greater potential reward than simply buying the stock alone so when confidence is high, is it the time to use leverage for a segment of the retail investor's portfolio? Maybe an analogy is renting some extra poles or chartering an extra boat captain to fish more aggressively in the right spot. Thanks. Uh, great question, Doc. Um, so uh, I, I think you're spot on here. I, I, I do like uh, your idea here of the in-the-money uh, strikes and um, you know layering three to 18 months out. Uh, I think that's also... You could probably go even 24 months out. Um, So I think that makes sense. Uh, Margin rate shouldn't be 9%. I'd just switch over to interactive brokers. Uh, It's much, much less. Uh, I'm not a big fan of buying stocks on margin. So how I would think about doing it is maybe put 90% of what you're gonna allocate to that position in stock and 10% in uh, long dated options. So, you know, if you've got, um, you know, let's say you've got, uh, uh, you know, uh, 18 months out or, or something like that, uh, 110 or 120, and you've got 10% of your allocation to that. So those could wind up, you know, being five or 10 baggers at least, uh, on 10% of your portfolio, uh, 10% of that position. And then the stock itself, you know, a double plus, uh, and you're going to do just fine. So I wouldn't go uh, all in on just options per se, or all in just on stock. But they're, they're, you know, there's a way to kind of get the best of both worlds. You still own the stock, so you have time. Because you know, if the, as this works, the stock is going to be you know a lot higher than it is today. Um, so even if you run out, if if you allocated 10% of that position to options, even if you run out of time on the options, you still got the stock that's going to more more than pay for it over time. If you have higher conviction, maybe you go for um, you know, 20% options and, and uh, 80% stock, that, that type of thing is a good way to balance it. Um, uh, you know, and then you wanna balance it as a reasonable portion of your overall portfolio uh, and manage risk that way. So I, I hope that helps, but I think you're spot on in how you're thinking about uh, the options further out in the money is good. 10 to 20 percent of whatever that position is going to be whether it's five percent or ten percent again this is opinion not advice um you could also do long dated out of the money call spreads uh where you can find a ten dollar spread two years out that's uh you know for two bucks something like that and uh if you're right uh you make 5x on that portion of it so you could put like you know uh, 2% of your position in that, 8% in the in the monies, and then 90% in stock or some combination or 4%, 16%, and 80% uh, stock uh, and get a little more juice that way. But I, I think how you're thinking about it, it doesn't have to be all one thing. It doesn't have to be all one expiration date. Uh, it doesn't have to be all one strike. Uh, you can do a blend uh, and it's a way to get a little extra alpha and if you blow out your options completely you still got eighty or ninety percent of stock that over time should double or even triple from these levels uh, and um, uh, you'll be good to go and and uh, if it happens sooner which which we think it will uh, then you can really get some extra juice on that so great question from dr. Matt in North Carolina um, uh okay mark messer uh tom ask me anything question for the podcast do you own any tesla even in your personal account he mentioned you read elon's book and said to never bet against him would love your thoughts on this thanks for all you do um you know i just because i would never bet against him doesn't mean i would bet for him so here's the tesla stock i mean bottom line is it's come in a little bit um it, I love how the business is growing like if you look at the top line over the last ten years, how it's just consistently grown, you now look at the bottom line earnings is starting to grow positive earnings, positive cash flow. The problem is you know you're paying um, you know you're paying like ninety times next year's earnings, albeit if they continue to grow at the same pace it's you know it's less it's a lower and lower multiple a few years out, but they'd have to triple to pay a thirty times multiple. And I think with competition coming in, I, I mean, look, I gotta say, like, like the Tesla is a nice car and all of that. Um, uh, and and many of my friends have them and they love them and they're great, uh, but they, they've they got to update it. And it just seems like they're struggling so much to, you know, meet, meet the current demand and the chip supply. And they've had the same body style for, um, you know, forever. And the bottom line is Americans like big cars. And bottom line, you know, they like big cars and they like good looking cars. And their kind of SUV with the Gold Wings, the X or whatever it is, it's kind of I mean, it's it's cool, but it's not that cool. I think the the um that silver truck that's coming out, I think that's gonna be really cool if they can ever get it out. But it got delayed another year. Um but I also think that's gonna be a niche market. Like, would I buy one of those for fun? Maybe uh but you know if they made something that looked like a really cool suv like rivian is doing uh i think you know if they had done that now or in a year they could get all of the market because you know americans love big suvs they could get the whole market before they got to deal with ford and gm and this and they're giving ford and gm this open door to get, get out ahead of them on the pickup trucks. they got the Silverado. They've got the F-150, which I think are going to be huge sellers. Uh, Ford put out that Mustang. That's pretty cool, the, um, uh, that, the smaller SUV. So, um, you know, they've done incredibly well in an environment where there's been no competition. Uh, the question is, how will they do where there's really competition? In other words, they've got to really up their innovation and literally give customers what they want and what what Americans want is big trucks and big SUVs like that's never going to change it's in our DNA and if you do a reasonable looking big truck or big SUV um, quickly before Ford and GM start working their way into that market uh, they'll crush it and it's probably cheap at 90 times earnings or whatever it's trading at today uh, but for me um you know certainly would never bet against them, but I, this this for me is too rich it's a lot of the 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 positives that are to come are already priced in you know if the business is two times what it is today uh the stock is you know probably still fully valued so um doesn't mean it can't go higher It doesn't mean it's not going to trade up to new highs in the next few months it's just you know, it's like, look, it's like all these other stocks, you know, you know, Peloton fell from whatever 100 times sales to 80 times sales. Was that the bottom? No. Was 40 times sales the bottom? No. Was 30 times sales the bottom? No. Was 20 times sales the bottom? No. So um, I think you just have to, um, you know, I, I, I think for me that's, that goes in the two hard box. Great company, great leader. Uh, price is what you pay, value is what you get. I just don't see the value there at these prices. But I can see you know, technically what you all are probably looking at. This thing is going to bounce up. Yeah, maybe it will. I, I could care less. I'm not going to participate. Um, okay. Uh, Jordan H. in the UK, long-time listener, second-time question asker. I hope you are well and want to start by saying thank you for the podcast. Your opinion, not advice. That's correct. Go to hedgefundtips.com, click on terms. This is opinion, not advice. I don't know what your financial situations are. I'm just sharing what I would do uh, based on the questions that you're asking personally, but my situation is a lot different than yours. Talk to your financial advisor before doing anything. I have two quick questions for your next podcast. How does uh, BTEK, iShares NASDAQ US biotech ETF, compare with your own biotech additions in recent weeks? Do you think this is an adequate? pick for a British investor I think that one mirrors the IVB that's that's perfectly fine Uh, and number two we've had the 10% dip in the S&P in early 2022 exactly underline bold as you predicted thank you very much Uh, how many more do you think we could potentially see this year and what methods do you use to gauge when they might occur Um, you know I I mean, I've spent a lot of time studying the history of the market, like literally years of my life. I I mean, if you name a year, I can basically tell you off the top of my head exactly like how many corrections there were, what were the magnitudes, um, you know, uh, in many cases, what were were the catalysts. So I've I've seen a lot that that doesn't say, that doesn't mean that history repeats. It does mean that it does rhyme. uh, And coming off a very, low volatility, high performance year, you often move into, for the indices, you often move into high volatility, low performance years. Uh, and I think that's exactly what we're in, in terms of the general indices, which I covered a little bit in this article, article of the week. Uh, my, my best suggestion is, um, uh, my guess is we're gonna get one or two more of these type of uh, 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 hair raiser type of corrections. You know the eight to ten percent plus variety on the s and p uh and there'll just be opportunities to uh to to participate but but we're not really interested in what 's happening in the indices we're looking for dislocation in particular stocks in particular uh sectors, and we want to jump on that uh largely irrespective of what 's happening in in the general indices uh okay Ben first name only again uh Tom what are your thoughts on Northrop Grumman also uh, does pre and post market 4 to 9 30 a.m and 4 to 8 p.m stock and ETF activity trigger stops Um, okay Northrop Grumman I love Uh, I'd buy on the pullback here Uh, uh, personally I think this thing is gonna work a lot higher over the next two years same with Lockheed same with Boeing same with the whole group uh it only triggers stops if you have your stop set to include after hours um and it's a good way to get your stops hit because the volume's light and they can take it against you take you out of the stock and then it runs up uh on the on the open so uh i'm not a big fan of stops i mean i don't i don't invest in anything unless i would buy the business uh entirely for the most part um so um so that's that good question uh okay ishan zakaria kawaja thank you for another great video mr hayes at the moment i am exposed to biotech sector through uh x uh etf ibb i was wondering what your thoughts were on the three times bull biotech labu uh, look, I mean, more more volatility, more upside. We have some exposure there. Uh, you know, you've got basically three choices if you just want to get a, a basket of the stocks without having to bet on individual stocks in the group, which is a little tricky because you've got a bunch of pipelines. I'd rather I'd rather bet on the aggregate of pipelines and the aggregate of pricing power and the aggregate of innovation rather than trying to uh, discern, you know, uh, each you know trying to get four or five stocks that um, that will have catalysts I'd rather just play the whole group for this particular sector just because it's a lot different to analyze than other sectors Um, so yeah it's just higher risk so again it all comes down to position sizing and um, you know more or less any position we ever put put on we we have to assume that if it went to zero would we live another day Uh, whether that's options or stock uh, and do we have enough uh, uncorrelated uh, positions in the portfolio to make up for it over time? and the answer is yes and then if uh, and then, if you still like the thesis, then you can do it i'd just say it 's just going to be a lot more volatile and there 's some risk to leveraged uh ETFs, but um, uh, it just it really depends on your risk propensity and your understanding of what you 're investing in you know if you 've done some work on the sector and you have confidence and you can withstand. Uh, you know if you buy uh, LABU at $20 and it goes to $10 are you going to go are you going to get out and puke it before it goes back up to $50, 60, $70? If so then you know uh, do not do that. Just do XBI or IBB because these things they whip around and they will they'll take your head off if you don't if you don't understand the the volatility that you should expect. Um, okay, Paul, uh, Paul Cincinello. Paul Cincinnello um i own boeing on your recommendation and continue purchasing at it, it declines 223 206 194 just transferred a few hundred k to buy more for the long-term hold does boeing have any risk of another competitor besides airbus can the chinese manufacture airplanes thanks for all you advise uh or opinion uh paul Cincinnella. paul Uh, I'm buying right alongside you. I think since you uh, wrote that 193 was last week, I think it's up to 208 this week. So uh, the answer is yes. We continue to add opportunistically as we can. There are some catalysts on the time horizon, but over the long term, it's a duopoly. Are the Chinese trying to manufacture their own planes and plane engines? Yes. Will they eventually? Yes. Um, However, um, I don't think they're going to be the same quality. Uh, as uh, GE and Boeing if and when they can ever actually uh, get them get them off the ground, uh, pun intended. So uh, I would say that if a duopoly turned into an oligopoly, the demand is still going to be extraordinary for the next 10 years. Uh, and uh, there's a beachhead. So um, that's something certainly that could be in the back of your mind, but not something that's imminent. It's like buying a bank and, and people saying, well, DeFi is going to take away all the banks okay but it's not gonna happen right away uh, and if it ever happens and more likely than not it doesn't okay uh, Warren Buffett quote of the day most people get interested in stocks when everyone else is the time to get interested is when no one else is you can't buy what is popular and do well and I think a lot of newer investors found that out for the first time last year Um with uh, with many of the uh, innovation type stocks that have now been cut in half, and if not 75 or 80 percent, and out of the ashes the phoenix will arise. There will be a handful of those hundreds of stocks uh, that are now down, you know, 70, 80 percent that uh, go on to be great businesses uh, ten years from now. But uh, but it's going to be a long slog. So we've always focused on uh, getting interested when no one else is, and, and that's why our two largest positions are. Uh, For this year, our our now Biotech uh, has been fully placed in the last uh, week and a half or so. uh, And uh, China Tech, which is Alibaba. And uh, we think that's going to be great over time. So uh, a couple quick things about the market. Uh, This was from Fundstrat Tom Lee. Uh, Buckle up, violent upside for the S&P lays ahead. New highs, sentiment is so bad it's good. Uh, And I covered a little bit of this on the Claim and Countdown last week. Uh, before this note was published, but um, it shows that when the AAII sentiment survey, which we cover every week, the bulls minus bears uh, hits these levels, which it hit 21, the the, uh, bullish percent hit 21% last week. If you remember in my note, I said this is an extreme, usually near inflection points. The S&P is up six and a half percent in the last five days. I think it gave back you know, one or one and a half percent today on the, uh, uh, Facebook, but that's to be expected. You know, when you move up that, that big off of pessimism, everyone was buying in the last day or two days. So you got to, you know, take them out to the woodshed, shake them out of their stocks. And then, then we can push higher again after, uh, the late money got flushed out again. So they can chase higher again, it's just the way the market works. I I have no idea, but it's just years of observation. So um so what looking one month out the average is uh 8.4%, 3 months out the average is uh 13.8%, 6 months 19%, I wouldn't bet on that this year and 12 month 32%, I wouldn't bet on that this year but but I think it's reasonable uh that well actually come to think of it uh cuz you're 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 talking about 19% off the lows which the S&P uh, off the intraday lows was down 12%. I think closing lows was below 10%. So yeah, I mean, if you're up 19% before year end, you're probably up high single digits, low di- double digits. So that that's perfectly uh, reasonable uh, off of that level of sentiment. I like this uh, tweet from T. Ho Birkin today. Interesting developments in the market this week. This was uh, 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 late morning today. Alibaba is up 7.6% on the week, Tencent's up 4.7%, Facebook is down 19%, and PayPal's down 22%. So it shows the divergence between the high multiple US tech and now the low multiple uh, China tech, which with faster growth, uh, the, the shift is coming. Money is starting to flow to where there's actual value versus just price uh and uh that that's really nice to see in uh in in such a heavy market with facebook from last night. Um okay, the January barometer, here's Ryan Dietrich. Good news is the January barometer has been broken lately. It used to say as goes January so goes the year. In fact, uh but that's not been the case. In 9 of the past 10 times stocks were down in January, the final 11 months were higher, some by a lot like last year. Uh, Be aware of this little fact when you hear the narratives over the next few days, people talking about the January barometer. uh, On average, uh, 11 months out, the market's up 13.1%. So that's good to see since 2009. Uh, The GOAT retired this year, uh, greatest of all time. I remember we were down in Tampa last year for a swim meet. We're driving out of the uh, airport to the hotel. And I'm thinking, uh, and I'm looking, I'm like, we're going to be literally watching the Super Bowl from five minutes away from the stadium from a little TV. This is absolutely crazy. This could be Tom Brady's last Super Bowl. We're going. We got the tickets last minute, and uh, and I thought it might be historic if it was his last ever, and it turned out to be. We had a wonderful time and uh, just so lucky and grateful to have experienced that, to see him get his last ring as a player. He might wind up with a few more as a coach or an owner. We'll see. Uh, Okay, moving on. Value stocks just had their best month since the peak of uh, the 2001 dot-com bubble, and there's still more upside, says Bank of America. Um, And what they show here is uh, a table, annual relative growth versus value total returns for Russell large cap. So you can see this period here from 2014 to 2020 Um, where growth just had this aberrational outperformance relative to value Uh, whereas 2001 to 2007 uh, this is when value outperformed and historically and then you see you know uh, 98 and 99 where growth outperformed for a couple of years but on balance if you add all these up value is generally outperformed over time Um, now that is interesting, but uh, there was another note out here, value stocks are outperforming growth, but not likely, likely not for much longer, here's why. And you know some of these tech stocks have gotten beaten down so much that it's kind of interesting. So what they're saying in this article here is in aggregate analysts expect earnings per share for the value fund. Uh, that, okay, so they're looking at the value index, S&P value, 500 value index, VOOV, versus the S&P 500 growth index, VOOG. They're expecting uh, earnings per share in the value fund to grow 10.5% for calendar year 2022, uh, uh, which is better than the growth index is supposed to grow 7%. So it's natural that value would outperform. But they've put in, they've clocked a lot of that outperformance already in January. So, uh, which is why we lightened up on some some energy and some banks to put it into uh, sectors that uh, we think can. Um rise a lot more in a much shorter period of time, like biotech and like others that's so the the bet is not that energy and banks stop going up. the bet is that things like biotech go up a lot more and a lot more quickly uh versus hanging around for another five or ten percent for twelve months in in energy and certain banks and that type of thing uh although we kept some of each of those uh it's it's much smaller than it was uh a week or a week and a half ago um okay the other point that they make here is that uh value looks less and less like a coiled spring at this point for now we still favor value but continue to stress this as a tactical opportunity as rotation risk back toward more growth oriented laggards increases on the heels of the valuation set so they talk about basically the correction in january which was meaningful i mean uh uh, it was down 18% intraday for the Nasdaq last Monday, um, and then the Citigroup strategist noted uh, on Tuesday evening, "Our tactically positive, our tactically positive strategy views on value as the trade becomes increasingly consensus." So they're starting to acknowledge, like, "Hey, you know, this is super crowded." Like we covered with the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey the last two weeks, like you know, the, uh, overweight to tech was the lowest since December, 2008. And the overweight to commodities was at historic highs. I don't want to be in that crowded of a boat on either side. Uh, so then the play becomes, okay, where's their actual value in tech and or growth. And we found that that biotech looked the most interesting in that context. There are some tech stocks like value tech and intels of the world and that type of stuff and some others. Um, but, um, uh, the key is you want to, so so from being a pound the table value only, and now it's it's done the outperformance last year. Banks and energy were in the top two, three performers for the whole year, um, and th- the first month this year it was like a record month of all time. It's it's at that level of euphoria when everyone's kind of picking up nickels in front of steamrollers that we want to help them out and uh, and move on to uh, where there are more fish and less boats. So, uh, okay, this is from Kristen Flanagan over at Bloomberg. I love this one. Flight from risk drives biotech stocks to worst start since 2016. Um, Worst start to a year since pricing politics of 2016 election. Interest rate worries adding to other industry headwinds. Um, So, yeah, what we're going to see here, I just want to pull this up. I did the XBI ETF top 30 holdings this week. We had done the IBB a couple of weeks ago, and the conclusion was similar. I think the IBB, let's see, the IBB earnings power was flat. It was revised up. So the top 30, words, 30 weights of the IBB uh, cumulative earnings power was revised up by. Uh, fourteen thousandths of a percent so it was basically flat in 60 days while the ETF got crushed the XBI equal weight was very similar Uh, the cumulative earnings power was revised down by four tenths of a a percent four tenths of one percent but during this time frame here's the ETF that represents those 30 top holdings uh, was down 37.3 percent so that kind of dislocation when earnings uh power is basically the same and the and and the ETFs down 37%. That gets really really interesting and that's why it's uh now a huge exposure uh, at, uh overweight for us. Um uh, one of our largest positions with Alibaba. So, um so that's that. So what Kristen is saying in this article uh okay, valuations have now fallen so much there are about 100 biotech companies whose cash stockpiles exceed their stock market values. So if you were to liquidate them, you would get, uh, well, you'd get a lot more because you'd get the IP and you'd get uh, any of the assets. But just the cash on their balance sheet is more than the price that they're trading at in the stock market. That's a margin of safety. So, um so that's according to Truist, indicating that investors are deeply discounting the outlook for growth. You think? So they've given no credit to the intellectual property, no credit to the uh, ongoing sales of, of their drugs, no credit to their pipeline, no credit to their buildings or assets, no credit to their people, no credit to their R&D, no credit to their patents. Uh, they're trading below cash. I mean, that is rare. So... Um, so it's not just the smaller t- uh, biotech companies with no drugs yet on the market. COVID vaccine ma- makers have joined the route. Moderna Inc.'s 37% January drop is the steepest ever and has turned it into the worst performer in the S&P 500. Uh, uh, BioNTech is facing a similar drop, while peers working on second-generation shops like Novavax and CureVac have uh, been virtually sheared in half. I, I wouldn't be overweight on um, you know vaccine makers and fortunately they're not overweight in any of these etfs or indices um because that's kind of a yesterday story i mean it's like we've got a new vaccine like the existing one is kind of good enough you know i mean it's like at this point you got a pill that that cures it like pfizer uh, i'm all ears but you know vaccines at this point the people who have gotten vaccinated uh, will keep getting vaccinated the people who haven't are just never going to have it and with the um, uh, vaccine mandate struck down by the, the different courts, uh, even Starbucks, which is the most, pro, you know, quote unquote, progressive, uh, company out there. Uh, they've, they've, uh, gotten done away with their vaccine mandate for workers because, you know, you limit 20% of the population, which means you got to pay that much more to get someone to show up. And, uh, it's just uneconomic and they have owners to answer to. So, um, So the vaccine trade is over. I agree with that. But the vaccine trade is a very small uh, proportion of uh, these indices and these ETFs. Uh, Large cap uh, makers of drug devices, scientific tools and tests have slumped, too. We think there's some value in the device makers. Uh, And strategists have um, uh, pointed to hedge funds as one culprit with some force to liquidate their holdings. Uh, as disappointed investors pull out of cash, yeah, there were a lot of uh, hedge funds. There were articles like these tech-heavy growth funds. Some of them have blown, uh, quite a few of them have blown up in January. Um, so that there's a lot of forced liquidation still going on in the market, particularly in tech and I guess in biotech as well. Uh, still, there may be signs that the biotech downturn is reaching its nadir. The equal-weighted S&P biotech ETF, which trades under the ticker XBI, plunged 50% over the seven months. Uh, During the Clinton-fueled route before its next advance, it has experienced a similar size drop over the past year, suggesting it could be primed for a reversal. This is a great chart here. It shows the uh, last time uh, Biotech fell this much uh, in this short period of time. And the same thing happened here. So that one was 49%. As of the writing of this, it was 48%, I think, January 30th. So the low was probably in. Uh, at that point, and it started to work its way higher in the last handful of days, um, and that's that. So I thought that was a pretty pretty cool article. You often don't see that before you know you get a real rebound off the bottom. You don't see the headlines starting to come, but Kristen he- Kristen Flanagan is ahead of the curve on that one. Uh, and in spite of all the worries about drug prices, drug drug makers raised prices by six percent, six point six percent on average early this year. Uh, we went into that. Went into that oil. Okay, four ways the Iranian nuclear talks could upend oil markets. So the worst case scenario would be a comprehensive deal. This probably doesn't happen tomorrow, but it is in the works, and uh, the administration's getting desperate because it's very hard to get elected uh, with uh, with inflation, consumer confidence, and inflation is joined at the hip. The more inflation there is, the lower the consumer confidence, and the numbers have been anemic in, in recent reads. Um, so. A new pact that's similar to the 2015 agreement, which I don't think it'll be that dramatic, uh, which uh, the U.S. pulled out of in 2018, could be the most bearish outcome for oil traders. Tehran could sell some roughly 80 to 90 million barrels it holds in storage, many of them located in its main market of Asia. It would increase production at oil fields at the same point. Output might climb from around 2.5 million barrels a day, mostly consumed by local businesses, to 3.8 million within six months, according to the IEA um and that's that's that so uh you know and then a partial deal is less impact but that's why we lightened up a little bit on energy we do like energy again over the next three four five years uh but at this stage we think that there will be a, an opportunity to, to buy back in i think at some point this year we're going to get a real uh pullback uh, in in energy, uh, and and we can reload on some of those. We still have some core positions, but we raise money to make make room for biotech, which we, we've really leaned into. So, uh, and it's been an unbelievable run since 2000 for both energy and banks. So, you know, uh, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. So we didn't wanna be a pig. Um, OPEC uh, Plus agrees on March output rise amid oil price rally, defying pressure from US and India. It's interesting, you know, when the last administration used to call, call up the Saudis and say, knock it off, uh, you know, we, we, need, uh, uh, we need you to do this, we need you to do that, OPEC listened. With this administration, they're just kind of like laughing at us and doing whatever they want, and, uh, and that's what they've done. I think there is some real hesitation because obviously oil went negative, so they have memories of that. They don't want to ramp up too quickly. But um, it's just a different relationship altogether, and um, and that's OPEC. Uh, okay, the energy sector surged nearly 19% in January as we were lightening up uh, out of it on that strength. Here's what history says about returns following the only other five months it's risen at least 15%. So it shows in this table what happens. The last five times it rose 15% in a month um in 2005 it was down one month later the sector was down uh 3.6 percent two months later 8.8 percent three months later 7.7 um and then even in the others where it was positive it was really weak with the exception of november 30th 2020 but that was a rare situation because it was coming off of negative prices so naturally you know if you're crashing you know 80 some odd percent and you know small rise is like a big number so if you take out uh 2020 uh you're going to find that these are really anemic returns and this really skews it i mean five percent three months out even so uh let's just assume we keep that 2020 in 5.6 percent three months out is not that attractive we want to be in other things that can move very fast, uh, much faster, and and generate much bigger returns. In other words, we don't want to stick around to pick up the last few pennies in front of the steamroller. So uh, there's a high probability it could be negative, but even if it it plows up, it's gonna do so at a much slower pace because we participated when the gains were the biggest in the shortest amount of time, uh, and we'll leave the last few pennies for someone else. So um, in the short term. And then if we get a hard pullback, we'll probably reload for another run. Uh, Qatar seals Boeing freighter deal with surprise 737 order so they're getting the orders they have that new plane the 777 X for freighters uh, and they 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 ordered 34 of them they threw in another of the 25 of the uh, 737 max which no one expected. Uh, the demand is going to be off the charts. Uh, it's just uh, the, the short term catalyst is getting off the ground in China which hopefully is any day It should have been three days ago so. When that happens and the orders start flowing in, people will get interested in in Boeing again, and I think it could go 270, 300 pretty quickly. Um, China and Japan are cities' top picks for Asia markets, so sentiment is changing. Um, More and more people are looking at emerging markets and China uh, on relative valuations. And I think the heat is on for Xi Jinping going into the National Congress, which we've talked about many times. Uh, legendary investor George Soros put out a note, says China's real estate crisis is a major threat to Xi Jinping's grip on power. Uh, and you don't want to have a loose grip on power going into that transition meeting. Uh, so, so that is, is, is forcing their hand to put the foot on the gas and to ease up on the regulations uh, in tech. Also, you're starting to see some dissent. Uh, this is from the FT, China's document, Chinese documentary prompts rare criticism of Xi's corruption crackdown. Um, and then this third article from the Wall Street Journal, to achieve common prosperity, Xi Jinping seeks to scale China's three big mountains. So what does that mean? He's cracking down on three things. He wants to make education less expensive. He certainly did that last summer by shutting down the whole industry. Uh, but the kids won't be as smart because they won't have the uh education that uh they were getting from from the tutors but uh that's fine uh healthcare he wants to bring those costs down we have no real exposure with alibaba and housing he who wants to bring that down we don't have any exposure so uh, i like that the focus has changed to these three things where that are causing people to not to want to have kids uh and uh and now they realize that in order for um, them to grow and to have a strong year into the national congress, they need tech, and they seem to have kind of uh, you know eased up on on the uh, the crackdown is in the rearview mirror. Uh, emerging markets took a beating last year; now they could be the smart play institutional investor. This is just another relative valuation argument. Uh, they're trading at their five-year low PEs. China's the biggest weight. We agree and Charlie Munger it's waiting that helps you as an investor. A lot of people just can't stand to wait. That's why I'm not interested in, you know, questions about stop losses after hours and how does it look at these levels. I mean, do you want to own the business or don't you want to own the business? You know, would you have to own the business? Would you be willing to own the business forever? How do the future growth prospects look? Do you look at some short-term technical indicators? Yeah, you want to get the better price if you can get the better price, but um, you know, Understand value price is less important than value over the long term. I mean, Tesla has value just not at this price in, in my world. you know it, it could certainly double and triple from here, but I think there are some other you know headwinds and, and then the valuation becomes an issue, uh, et cetera. UPS had great earnings, which shows some nice health in the economy. Alphabet uh, crushed it, and meta uh, SHIT the bed. Uh, okay, Joe Manchin gave a fresh hint on what he wants from a skinny Build Back Better program. Just fix the tax code. So he wants corporate and individual taxes to go up. The problem is, is Kristen Cinema over in Arizona gets it. Uh, and she understands the Republicans in her state, uh, which has become a purplish state. And she's uh, int- objecting to raising any corporate or individual tax rates. So uh, the idea of getting these mini bills through is uh, looking less and less as time ticks away. And I don't think the inflation numbers are gonna come down quick enough for them to have the time to do these mini bills. You know, The last thing they wanna do is pass a big spending bill uh, with inflation expectations where they are in a fragile type of environment uh, with the Fed having to make major decisions. So I think uh, the probability of anything major happening this year is slim. Uh, and uh, that's uh, on account of um, two independent thinkers in our Senate, which we could use quite a few more independent thinkers moving forward. Uh, Wages will be the key in January's Omicron hit jobs report. Here's what to watch. Uh, So, yeah, I, I think bad news is going to be good news tomorrow. We saw the ADP report was weak. I think Omicron certainly had an impact in January And um, and and the report will probably come in week again. We had a week one last last uh, uh, month, and that's probably good news because it'll make the Fed think twice about how quickly they want to go the speed and magnitude of what they want to do in tightening. So I think tomorrow morning's bad news will be good news uh, in that it kind of puts the Fed on their heels to not be overly eager to uh, be. Aggressively tightening into slowing growth and jobs and full the dual mandate, full employment and stable prices, etc. So, uh, so that's what to expect. I'll be on CGTN America tomorrow night between 7 and 8 p.m. talking about the jobs report if you're interested. Uh, and the article of the week. So what happens next? Um, last Tuesday on the claim and countdown, I laid, down, laid out three key reasons. I believe the worst of the January correction was in the rearview mirror in the near term. Uh, this was the exact point at which I was on. Liz was like, are you sure about that? Uh, and I, you know, I talked to the, uh, the VIX being elevated at 38. The, uh, uh, put call was at 126, uh, and the AAII sentiment, which we covered earlier in this call being at an extreme that was usually around inflection. So, uh, while it looks obvious now, it was not an easy call to make in real time. The sector we mentioned we were leaning into is biotech. We've covered that already today, so we can skip right through that. Uh, Expensive coffee is still cool. We covered that, uh, the cheddar interview. You can actually click on that if you're interested in Starbucks. Uh, There's a lot of good information uh, packed into that interview. Uh, That was great, thanks to Allie Thompson. And then half glass full with the unfettered uh, 6.6% S&P rebound in the past week. It would be entirely predictable to have some short-term digestion of an aggressive move off the lows. We wrote this last night. We were getting that uh, consolidation today. Uh, writing this on Wednesday night after Facebook just missed on the bottom line and issued weak guidance. It may be just the catalyst to scare some out of their recently purchased positions in the next day or two. Looking at the top holdings of the S&P 500, uh, META is a top 10, but they're only 1.97%. So we'll see how uh amazon does tonight uh what's amazon's weight amazon's a much bigger weighting 3.38 percent both how it uh reports and then how it responds after the call and then um overall we think uh overall however we think the markets can work higher ahead of the march fed meeting the jobs report may come in week on friday we saw indications of that in the adp report leading market participants to reevaluate how hawkish the Fed will be given the short-term impact of the virus. In other words, bad news jobs will be good news. Uh, Fed slows tightening pace or balance sheet runoff pace. Uh, We saw the same consumer weakness with Delta this past fall. Spoiler alert, they will recover. The consumer loves to spend money. They just don't like to go out and get sick. So uh, this is what happened with Delta on lodging, travel, and other entertainment. The same thing's happening with Omicron. And it's likely we're going to see the exact same type of rebound in coming months um particularly moving into you know nicer weather in the northeast as well it will be helpful uh in accelerating that short-term indicators are also signaling that any heavy trading in facebook impacting the overall market indices should be contained to a few sessions so we got our first one today but if you look at this pmo buy all it's down at the zero level just trace it back this is usually where you want to be a buyer not a seller buyer not a seller on the pmo by spx on the bullish percent spx these are levels you want to be buyer not seller and the vix is still rolling over It probably spiked up a bit today but that's just how it works its way down two key driving factors are still present in the market earnings continue to hold up although estimates are not improving as quickly as we would like to see uh they're still at 22394 for this year liquidity is still abundant taper will run through march in the meantime they're still adding liquidity they're adding to the balance sheet through the end of march that will change but it hasn't changed yet here's the balance sheet and on this is a shorter term general market the AAII sentiment is still uh there's still a lot of fear in the market at 26.5 percent bullish and 43.7 percent bearish it's come a little off the boil from last week but again nowhere near uh, uh any type of confidence or euphoria that's where you want to be a This is where you these are the kind of environments where you want to be more looking what to add versus uh, what to get out of CNN fear and greed index. Same thing. Still at 36. It's probably lower today. Um, And then the National Association of Active Investment Managers got down to 53 percent. So any strength that comes back after these few chop sessions, uh, they'll have to chase back up. So. uh, So I think Fundstrat's thing about violence. To the upside and possibly new highs is not unrealistic. Uh, he's always bullish, of course, but uh, I, I think it's uh, I think there's something to be said for that. So as we said multiple times in our weekly podcast video cast late last year and early this year, 2020 would be much different than 2021. We'd have higher volatility, three three to five percent pullbacks. of 2021 would become eight to ten percent plus corrections in 2022 and lower returns. Uh, High single digit to low double digits in 2022. So far that has held to be true. With the excess crowding into indexing in the past decade, there has to be a time when the quote crowded trade punishes its adherence. I think 2022 sets up well to be that time. General indexers will find 2022 very unsatisfying as they grind sideways with increasing volatility for nothing more than average returns at the end of the year. Opportunistic stock pickers that can pick stocks and sectors in distress and be patient will be amply rewarded and may see some of the highest returns of their career. Time will tell. So, um, so that's that. A uh, couple quick things. Uh, you know, earnings on balance have been good. Obviously, you know, uh, Facebook was a bad surprise, but there were more good surprises than bad surprises, Alphabet exons uh etc quite a few others throughout the week and then economic data um chicago pmi on monday better than expected uh manufacturing pmi was better than expected ism uh manufacturing pmi beat expectations still an expansion at 57.6 so that's good uh the jolts there's still 10.9 million jobs out there Uh, Crude oil inventory is still a draw of 1 million barrels uh, versus 1.5 million build expectations. And then here's where we saw the, um, let's see, where were the ADP numbers? Uh, uh, Okay, so they were negative 301,000 versus positive 207,000 expectations. That's part of the reason we think tomorrow is going to be Miss expectations, which will be good for the market. uh, Put the uh, Fed uh, on a leash. And then um, the continuing claims uh, came in higher than expected. That's uh, not good. Uh, Initial jobless claims were a little better than expected. So we'll see. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. We got it in under an hour this week. Happy about that. Thanks for listening in. Make it a great one. Bye for now.